Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm all right. You've just been buying sportswear yep. for... Total Wipeout. Celebrity Total Wipeout. Now this is, because you've come into Marsha Meets and it's really nice to have you here and Hello. we're going to have a yes. chat. Hello, But essentially you're just biding your time until you go to Argentina. Yeah, biding the time is a bit strong. That's later today. I've got important stuff to do. Of which, of course, this is the most important of the things. So, tell me more. Well, you've seen Total Wipeout. It's like the assault coursey. Exactly. So I've got to go to Argentina and jump off some things. I don't think I knew they did it in exotic countries. Oh, yeah, well, obviously it's got to be somewhere where there's no legal ramifications if you snap your <laughs> spine. <laughs> I mean, that's just my guess. Maybe there are other reasons it's exotic or something. That's really exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know who else is doing it? I'm briefly interrupting to let you know that I'm Marsha from yesyesmarsha.com and this is from a series of interviews that I did from 2009 to 2011 called Marsha Meets, which were long-form interviews with stand-up comedians that eventually inspired the book Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. That book's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. Back to the interview. Do you know who else is doing it? Chico obviously, and uh, Aggie off How Clean Is Your House. I know them well. I do a voiceover for the Discovery Channel, so I have to often come up with different ways of introducing Kim and Aggie. Excellent. Okay, (laughs) do one now. Um, Time to sweep the floor and shove everything under the carpet. How clean is your house on DMAX? Brilliant. That's that's good. (laughs) How do you fancy your chances? Um, Well, obviously, very, very low. But I'm uh, competitive and uh, I'm trained in the art of falling over. So, uh, But didn't you just run a half marathon? I did, just the other day. That's amazing. How did it go? It was good. I just ran on my own. I don't, I'm not strict with a watch or anything like that. So I wasn't trying to do it in a particularly good time. But of course, everyone talks about it. So you start thinking about it. And I did it in quite a good time. Did you? I hoped I would do it in less than an hour and 50 minutes. But I didn't look at my watch or anything. And then I did it in an hour and 49 minutes and 43 Whoa. seconds. Whoa. Yeah. And had you done anything like that before? No, um, I just really got into running recently. Just as I, well, funny enough, I, I really liked the running, so I thought, well, I might as well do the running thing. But I, the running thing, the whole charity and groups and all that, is it's, I just run on my own. In the you know, being near other people while it's happening and getting sponsored, all that stuff. That was all very. That's not my world. But it was nice. It's nice to have a go. You know, charity's a good thing. And I'm doing the full marathon in April. No way. The London Marathon. And I was I was just thinking, oh, it was really tough. I might give up. And then I saw your man, uh, the Chilean miner, who went and ran the New York Marathon. I thought, oh, well, if he can do that, I can do this. <laughs> but it's funny because I loved running. It was quite empowering. And I, it's almost spiritual. Not quite. Almost. Until I met these people. I was doing a gig and these people had seen me on telly a couple of years ago. And they said, oh, you've lost weight. I said, oh, yeah, thanks very much. And I was about to, you know, take all that adulation. They said, oh, you must be one of these midlife crisis guys who gets into running and does a marathon. And I was like, yes, apparently so. Thanks very much. So that's my life. They called me. So if you're if you're half marathon fit and if you did it in such a quick time, I reckon you might be quite tasty on Celebrity Wipeout. Yeah, I think that the skills base is slightly different. And also, I really had a lot of trouble going up and down stairs since my half marathon. <laughs> I was good until I went over the line and then my body went into near total collapse and isn't quite right. But um, I'll be pretending it's fine. So you've been on quite a lot of other shows Kind of of that ilk, but not as a contestant, but as a pundit or as a reporter mm-hmm. on things like um, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here Now and the Strictly Come yes. Dancing one yep. and Big Brother's Little Brother. Do you have to watch all of them? Yeah, I mean, it depends. I mean, I'm, I'm into that. Obviously, there's a kind of sort of, yeah, circuit of things like this, but I my 
act is a response to popular culture. That's what I do. So it's totally appropriate. But the trouble is because I work evenings, particularly with Big Brother. I love Big Brother, but I always get to the show and think, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it for like eight days. So then I'm all over the telly and online going, ah! finding out what happened I also think Big Brother came to an end at a very good time yeah but yeah you know you have to watch them but on the other hand I, passing comment on them just well that's something that comes very naturally to me this is obviously completely different because other people will be passing comment on me yeah snarky comment in the case of the hamster <laughs> but maybe not maybe you'll become the nation's new hero <laughs> yeah well someone was saying that I should uh, make sure I slapstick it up and fall off and make sure that it's funny it's like I think that'll look after itself. <laughs> I don't think there's a, any concern of me actually kind of going through like this serious athlete and said, well, there was nothing funny about that and he didn't fall over once, but what a time. Incredible performance. <laughs> <laughs> Your first time on TV was quite a long time ago, though. Are you talking about my childhood appearances? Yes. You're talking about Crack It, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. Crack It was a game on the TVAM programme Splat, which, when it failed, was replaced by Whack-A-Day with Timmy Mallet. So that kind of dates it. It was the year before Wacker Day with Timmy Mallet. And you went on this quiz show? Yeah, and I came very close to going through to the final where I could have won a Sinclair ZX Spectrum for my school. Not even for yourself? No. <laughs> and I really had a massive attack of nerves as well. I really blew it. You look... There's a little video of it on your website, robdeering.com, and is. bless your little tiny self, you look petrified. I really was. We had a rehearsal, and I had a great time. I was like, you know, I was like, I am now. I was going, hey, uh, you know, showing off to everyone, left, right and centre, having a great time. And I knew my stuff. I've always been a bit of a quizzer. And I kind of, the rehearsal was a proper quiz, and I won it, and everyone's going, oh, there's Rob, oh, check Rob out. And then they kind of turned the cameras on, and I went, <gasps> And I suddenly sort of locked down the lens. I threw away a couple of stupid, easy questions. And really, it was a terrible time in my life. And I was ashamed for many years. So when did you stop being terrified of things? Because you went on another one as well, pre-comedy career. When you were a bit older. Yeah. What was... Robert Deering, theatre director. (laughs) 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 So was that what you were doing, being a theatre director? I used to be a theatre director, yeah. And I used to write music, kind of theme tunes and uh, music for other people. How long did you do that for? I did it for a while, but none of it ever really stuck because I was never really letting the clown inside out. You know, the amount of silliness, the amount of falling over that I used to shoehorn into every possible job I had was wholly inappropriate. And when I met comedians and they said, you could do this, it was like... Oh, you know, the relief was palpable. Did you not even think that, though, when you were theatre directing? Were you not thinking, oh, I want to be on the stage? Not- oh, no, not at all. No, I don't like acting. Oh, OK. No, no, because it's me. If I'm acting, then I, I used to do acting. And the best bit is when it goes wrong. And you go, ah, look, it's gone wrong. So that's, you know, I hate the script. It just gets in the way of shenanigans. So when did you start doing shenanigans on stage? When did you start doing stand-up? Well, when I started doing stand-up, I dabbled in the mid to late 90s but I started properly at the beginning of 2000. Do you remember your first ever gig? Yes, it was uh, an open spot at the Athenaeum which was a, I don't know it's there anymore but it was a student venue in Glasgow and uh, I was following, directly following Phil Kay. No way. Yeah and he went down very well indeed. So I kind of got him a bow early on in my set just to win everyone over. And I fell off the stage. That was slightly misjudged because I don't think it was clear that that had been my plan. But it had. 
But I did it in a very committed way, really. There was no planned slapstick. I just walked off the edge. And I think it was a good six feet. Yeah, it went pretty well. And did it make you think, this is what I want to do? Oh, yeah. Well, but you... well, no, actually, at first I used to do it, and I thought, well, I'm busy, and it's not very funny. I don't want a hobby. So I went away and made up some better jokes and exhausted all the other possibilities. <laughs> you know, I directed Othello. Did you? This isn't really working. <laughs> then I was a stand-up. So at what point did the stand-up become I serious? I moved to London and had some good jokes I wanted to tell. And I had another job. That was when I was writing music. And I thought, I'll try a stand-up out. And stand-up went well quite quickly. I got a lot of good gigs and there was all the competitions and things. Simultaneously and brilliantly, I don't know if this is just my paranoia, but I don't think it is. The, uh, <laughs> the people I was writing music for who'd been employing me steadily and I'd done good work for, when they found out, as soon as they found out that I'd been doing stand-up, comedy they i think in that instant stopped taking me seriously so simultaneously my success as a stand-up and the dent being a stand-up put into my reputation as a songwriter led to my comedy career before you did stand-up you were in bands right yes but not as much as it looks from my act because the whole one-man band guitar playing thing that has really come up through being a comedian because I'm quite a widdly rock guitar comedian, but, you know, in my day, it wasn't cool to be good on the guitar. Really? Oh, yeah, no one played really good guitar between punk and Oasis. There's like two decades there where people who were good at the guitar, Dave Stewart out of the Eurythmics, you know, just put it away, get some synthesizers out. You ditched the bands, you got into the stand-up, and you won the Amuse Moose. Amuse Moose, yeah, New Comedian of the Year, 2001. I've still got that khaki little trophy. <laughs> But you also came like runner up and finalist in the BBC New Comedy Awards. Yeah, final of that. And Hackney Empire did as well. Isn't yeah. That? So things were all kicking off then. And yeah. you also went to Edinburgh and did the Comedy Zone. That's right. And then on to many a solo show in Edinburgh. I mean, you've got to go to Edinburgh, haven't you? So I did the Comedy Zone and then I did the Facts and then I did Super Kings. And then I did Rob doing the movie, which was, I really like that one. What was It was a set, it was like an hour of stand-up with music, because at first I didn't do any music in my acts, but it kind of crept in over time. When did the music come in? Um, after all those competitions, and then there was only a tiny bit, and then my second Edinburgh solo show, I kind of went electric and put the rock thing in. And then, because I went through like the 80s and 90s thinking, I didn't want to be a rock guitarist, because no one did. But then once the floodgates were open, once people were starting to be kind of ironically into Bon Jovi and things like that, then I was like, well, in that case... <laughs> And that's where that went. So, yeah, 2003. So I've had the guitar in the app for a while now. Okay, which, I mean, to me, when I think of you, that's what I think of you as doing. Yeah, it's like a Frankenstein's monster. I just kind of planted the seed and now it's completely overtaken my life. It's like um, Darth Vader's uh, outfit. You know, I can't really exist without it. And that's okay. What you do is rather than, well, you've done comedy songs, but usually you do sort of pastiches of... Pastiche, that's a horrible word. No, I do, do a bit of that. I mean, basically, I don't think there, there aren't any kind of um, solid lines, but when I picked up the guitar, I looked at acts that already existed, great acts. I suppose it was before the days of Tim Minchin and Flight of the Concourse, but there was Bill Bailey and Boothby Graffo and Mitch Ben, and they're doing comedy songs, and they were doing kind of proper full-length pastiches and stuff, and I thought, I just want to do something different to that, you know, so that I'm doing something new. So that's what I do, is I'm more of a... I'm like a compilation tape. I'm a magpie. It's supposed to be pick and mix. So I jump around and I'll use popular songs, but I don't tend to be joking about them. I just use them because everyone knows the song. And the more familiar the song is, the more obscure the joke I do. With it. I did a little one of those then, didn't I? <laughs> a little bit obscure. <laughs> James Blunt does that a bit. Um, when he's singing? Yeah, he sounds a little bit like the scary old guy, a family guy. But I'm sure that's what he's going for. I think that's absolutely fine. <laughs> 
But yeah, so I'm kind of like being a band and using that to sell jokes, but in an ADD kind of way. You so, also do that loop pedal thing. Yeah. Again, something which I just did a little bit of, and now I've just this year really I've accepted that I am a one man band. And not like with the cymbals between the knees <laughs> and the bass drum. On Have the you back. considered that ever? No. <laughs> well, I might, but no, I'm more like, you know, I'm a band. I'm a bassist and a drummer and backing vocalist and guitarists and a singer all at once. I'm like a dishwasher tablet. It's amazing to watch, though, because you do do stuff that when you're watching the act on stage in the audience, you're like, what? How? But he's not playing. How does yeah, that? Yeah, it's a difficult one. I don't want to spend too long explaining it. And I always try and make it clear. There's always some, someone's really grumpy. They'll always watch me and go, well, these are tapes. He's just miming. But, you know, really, seriously, why would I? It'd be a very strange thing to do. But on the other hand, you can waste time explaining it. You know, if I didn't do jokes, then I would, obviously the indulgence of it could keep me going all night. It's a lot of fun. But I always, as long as I can get to a laugh, you know, because otherwise it was just me yeah, entertaining myself, as it were. Do you think it's easier doing comedy that involves music now people like to mention and flight of the concourse? Now there's kind of this awareness of it. Like, yeah. did you used to get people going, oh, totally. Oh, when I started playing guitar, people just... At nearly every gig, someone would come up and say, I don't normally like musical comedy, but... And, you know, I'd get sick of it in the end. It was a bit kind of racist. It's like, why don't you? What did you see that you didn't like? But um, that happens less and less. It's back on the... Uh, it's hip again now. But I think also with what you do, because you do do popular songs, so it is a bit less... Like you're listening to a song yeah, and it's something that's familiar to you. I'm not doing that, yeah. I always imagine that you'd be really great with drunk crowds. <laughs> well, In yes the- and no. I think I think I bridged the gap. It's true that, but look, you know, if I've got that kind of really serious theatre audience, then I have to warm them up into, you know, like they're at a party. It is there is a sort of party giggy atmosphere, and I love playing music venues and things like that. But on the other hand, I always want to do jokes, and and I also use the guitar to do to do subtle jokes, or I might spring. I may even spring a socio-political joke on you. So with drunken crowds, there's always a question of pulling them back off the sing-along and making sure that just for my own personal sense of integrity that I'm actually doing jokes rather than just leading a dribbling sing-song. Right, like, like right. The occasion. Every now and again, I'll capitulate. Some gigs have been like that. I did a Cardiff on New Year's Eve. Fair enough. There, some of the uh, kind of topical punchlines there went by the by. <laughs> but I imagine, uh, I meant with the drunk crowds thing, more than like I've, other musical acts are coming on, then when you're listening to a song, there's a certain extent to which you have to invest. If it's like a new comedy song that's been made up, you have to yeah. kind of listen enough to a certain extent before you get to the point where it's the punchline. Yeah, like, like a real have... band, you know, where, you, where you're playing songs people haven't heard as opposed to being like a covers band in the back of a pub. But on the other hand, you don't have to have the attention span for me because I haven't. I like 30 second and one minute songs, not five minute songs. But you do have have to listen to the words. I mean, come on, you could have given me something. Have you ever used it with banter or with hecklers? Yes, and not that often because I like to. If, if there's a, a nasty heckler, then I like to talk to them maybe directly on my own. But if the crowd really feel like they're galvanised in uh, negativity towards a heckler, then I will lead a sing song. Can you think of any examples? I've changed the words to go west, go west, da, 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 da. go west, and I would sing. You know, you're annoying us. Go west. You should leave at once, go west, or something like that. I improvised the little responses, but the audience don't sing go west. What do they sing? They sing a much ruder two-word phrase. Go on, you can say it, we, we were explicit. They tell them to flip off. <laughs> no, they tell them to, obviously, they tell them to fuck off. I can imagine finding that quite moving, finding the whole audience. <laughs> exactly, no, no, you're absolutely off. right. It only works if it's this sense of, Everyone going, this is wonderful, we're doing it together. And even the person you're talking to going, oh, all right then, and kind of putting their little knapsack <laughs> over their shoulder. 
<laughs> but it has to be that surprisingly common thing in comedy, which must happen to all comedians, where there's one person in an audience of hundreds of people having a lovely time. One person is angry, not just because they don't like you, but because everyone else does. And they suddenly won't need to prove that. And it gets very, you know, it's very upsetting for them. But if you can turn it around to the advantage, you know, for everyone, and then they feel like they've created something yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Well, so you, you were doing stand-up and you were doing your Edinburgh shows and you also started doing TV things. You were on Rise on I that I did monitor. do Rise. I had, that was another falling over gig. I did a lot of falling over in those days. And then I went from that to 99 Things to Do Before You Die, which was like elaborate. Not just falling over, but all ridiculous things. So this is a show, it was you and Steve Jones. Yes, and... and uh, Alexandra Aitken. And uh, Shireen Said. And uh, we went around the world doing ridiculous things. They had quite a good remit, which was that there's no sunsets over the Taj Mahal and no bungee jumping. Everything had to fall in between. So they were all preposterous. You know, it was all... I had a drinking race with a horse. <laughs> You know, <laughs> who won? I did. <laughs> You'll um, be fine on Celebrity Wife. Now. I think I will. But that's the trouble. See, again, it's the same. It's the old thing with me is when it comes down to it. I'm not a simple man. I'm a thinker. I'm a talker. I've got opinions. But somehow the natural slapstick seems to, it falls out of me and it's appropriate to the audience. And the actual, you know, the whole directing Othello thing, that's the story of my life, really. Or the quizzes. It's like an eternal battle between the, hello, yeah, no, actually, I've really got quite an interesting opinion, and the massive face and the whole falling over. So that's, particularly on TV, I've done occasionally, you know, I've done, I did Never Mind the Full Stops. I've talked about history and the culture, but I think the ones people will remember will be me stripping in a strip club, drinking my own wee. Uh, How was drinking your own wee? Warm, and it tasted of vegetables. <laughs> uh, you know, I was on the weakest link, but the high point was when I fell over. It's, you know, it's, it's the yin and the yang of Deering. That's the, it's the essential duality of my life. You did two other things that I want to ask you about on 99 Things to Do Before You Die. Yeah, hit me. Dear Deirdre photo shoot. Mm-hmm. What was your part? I played uh, Danny, the uh, fat, ugly next-door neighbour. They made that pretty clear. They made me wear a bad shirt and said, oh, she wouldn't want to go out with him, but he's right there. And, uh, yeah, this just girl was going out with a bad girl and she she had a little girl and I, and I had a burning torch for her and she'd leave me to look after her little daughter and it was like oh should she you know settle for Danny can you remember what dear Deirdre said she said don't. if Danny was better looking you should settle for him but maybe not now I don't know what she said but the great thing two things about it were one no one ever realised that I did it for a thing. They all just thought, okay, Rob's obviously a bit short this month. <laughs> and two, everyone, because they just showed it, they, it was out again this summer in Dear Diddy's Great. No Stick. way! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, exactly like the first time, it's one of the most famous things. Among people I know, everyone gets in touch. Like everyone, I'm getting texts, um, Facebook, Twitter, everyone's like, you're in the sun today. And when I'm, you know, I could, I've done things, I've done telly and all that. It's the most out of anything is appearing in Dear Deirdre's photo casebook. And all of them saw the sun by accident. Really? I was in a waiting room and I happened to notice. You know, I found a copy of the sun on the tube. Shut up. You're reading Dear Deirdre <laughs> like you do every day. And then the other thing I wanted to ask you about. Yes. You were in a porno. Yes. This but, is. We should probably say this is as part of 99 Things. 99 and do. also I was an extra. I was oh, fully clothed okay. at all times. What were you doing? Were you like the handyman's mate or something? I was the captain of the firing squad. <laughs> what? <laughs> what um, kind of porno? <laughs> yeah, there was no, actually, it wasn't as dark as it sounds. They dramatised. It was, funny enough, they kind of layered up the misogyny. Because as if the actual, you know, situation wasn't enough. They were making a story based on, like, blonde jokes. So they dramatised all those jokes. And this was the one where there's three girls 
and one of them, they, they're just about to get shot by a firing squad. And the first one goes, oh, tidal wave! And uh, the guys with the guns look around and she runs away. And then the uh, and second one goes, oh, avalanche! And the, they all look around and she runs away. And the third one goes, fire! <laughs> so that was the joke they were dramatising. But in the version they'd done, the blonde girl who got shot came back to life and then the three women had sex for <laughs> hours and hours and hours. Um, but yeah, I was the captain of the firing squad. And what was it like? Because I worked for a while. I DJed in a strip club mm-hmm. and I had never been into a strip club before and I always imagined it would be like super seedy and quite depressing. And actually it wasn't. It was It was kind of, it was quite a nice atmosphere. Well, on the, the points, it was in LA. So obviously, you know, it's like the whole, whether it's sort of porn or not, the whole culture scene, so everyone's so efficient at making entertainment. And they really... Uh, they almost protested too much with that, really, because there, there was a high quality, loads of people there, you know, loads of big crew, and all of them were sort of saying, yeah, so normally I didn't do an all films, and I normally, oh, yeah, so how, how the wife and kids? They slightly overdid it. I think everyone was slightly paranoid about the fact that they were doing a porn film and were overcompensating. But, yeah, pretty, very efficient and very, and no front about it. We thought they'd ease us into it, but we walked in, and there were some people over there having sex. <laughs> and then at one point, someone said, oh, can we just stop a minute, because that's hurting. <laughs> no, that really hurt um, and then this one woman she was in that scene that was before we started filming or we were filming sort of around the set and stuff and then she stopped and just ate a load of food I mean she'd been having sex for hours and she ate a couple of massive kind of baguettes full of stuff and then she uh, just went and had sex all afternoon as well she's like a racehorse you know what I mean she really it was a kind of energy to effort ratio but I mean I'm quite I'm not that's really not me I am quite the 80s a new man in the 80s style you know, I'm a feminist. So I was I was never I wasn't going to at all. I was just thinking, oh, uh, okay. Um uh you know, I nearly handed out some pamphlets. <laughs> and and then what got really weird is I did the thing that they did, the, the, the firing squad thing. And then there was a very alpha male, very kind of silverbacky kind of guy who was big or yeah, come in, film you know, you can do this. And then it when he turned, he just he had to pull rank at some point. <laughs> Not that pull rank. And he got rid of my crew, basically. I was an extra in a different scene. And he said, right, no, 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 okay, British guys, get out, come on, British guys, after set. So he got rid of my crew, and I was still in the scene. And suddenly everything changed. He was like, well, now, this isn't a fun British TV show. This is this is just me in a porn film. <laughs> I, excuse me, can I go? I'd like to go now. So it just goes to show that how much you'll let yourself get away with if someone's filming you that I wouldn't do it any other time. Have you ever been recognised from that? No. Oh, yes, I'm sure someone got in touch and said they'd seen it. I've never seen it. But uh, and I don't particularly. I would like to see it, but I think I would forward wine to my bit. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe it's up on you, Paul. Uh, yeah, well, go- Google it. <laughs> firing squad, blonde joke, British guy. Yeah, Google firing. Exactly. There was a few different few ways you could go wrong there. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> firing squad porn. Ah! It's a, yeah. Let's just. Let's not and say we did. Okay. Um, so you're doing this show. Mm-hmm. You're on tour at the moment. I am with the Rob Deering Experience. So Rob Deering Experience is your band? Yes, it is. Um, but I am the only person in it. Right. You know, and that's fine, as has been established. You know, I'm kind of five in one. And I've lent into that, see. I've lent into the storm of my own musicy whole bandedness, And I'm doing it. That's what I do now. And that's the newest thing in my act. So that's exciting. But it's also the Rob Deering Experience. It's the experience of being me. I'm sharing. I'm telling people truths about my life rather than just getting to 
punchlines about tortoises and stuff like that. Not many. It's not really in my nature, but I've shoved a few in. And then it's the full entertainment experience for the audience. So it's a Rob Deering experience on three levels. So you've got a bunch of dates going into December. And yes. rather than listing them all individually now, they're all up on your website. They are. Which is? RobDeering.com. Rob Deering, thanks so much. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you like that, you'll probably love the book that I put together with Deborah Francis White called Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. So asking them things like, what's your writing process? How do you find your voice? What do you think about touring? How do you deal with hecklers? We interviewed 42 stand-ups, including Eddie Izzard, Sarah Millican, Phil Jupiter, Stuart Lee, Mark Maron. It's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. If you want to find out more, go to Yes Yes marsha.com forward slash off the mic